0: When somebody invests their time, that's their most valuable commodity that they have. I've seen people who've given their time. One lady, she told me, I never liked kids. I never wanted to come here. She started volunteering, and now she can't stop. She loves it. That time and that investment, when you walk into our facility, and that little person, that young person, those eyes are looking up at you, and they come, and they grab your hand, and they say they're glad to see you, and they are reaching out to love you, that is unbelievable.
1: This is the Lead Like Jesus podcast. My name is Chris Conley. Normally, I co-host with my wife, Karen Conley. She's not with us today, so you'll have to bear with me through some of the details, but I got this. I've got an amazing leader for you to listen to today, but he's more than an incredible leader. He is a very close personal friend. I cannot wait for you to hear Some of his backstory, but in addition to his backstory, it's our story really that provides the pathway for the leader that we become and the leadership that we exercise. So I want to welcome Randy Odom to the podcast.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm
1: excited. Honored to be here. Randy is the president and CEO of MAM, which stands for Memphis Athletic Ministries. So, Randy, before we jump into your backstory, give people a little bit of a snapshot of what Memphis Athletic Ministries is all about.
0: We are 55 full-time people strong every day in urban environments in Memphis. We work with youth 8 to 18, and we use sports as the vehicle to mentor them, to disciple them. Uh, We bring them into our gyms every day, and we do a literacy program. But our goal is to be Jesus with Skin On on a daily basis, raise up leaders who can impact their own
1: community. Randy, as you and I have built a friendship, I've had the opportunity to hear a little bit about the backstory of what God has done in your life. Give our audience the privilege of just hearing a little bit about who Randy Odom was before he was the president and CEO of MAM.
0: Well, I grew up in Texas. I didn't grow up in a Christian environment. I didn't grow up with a ton of mentors. My dad worked three jobs. He still works two jobs. So I was a latchkey kid, coming home every day, my brother and myself taking care of ourselves when we were eight, nine, ten years old. But I had a coach in my life. My mom passed away when I was going into my freshman year. She had lupus, she had cancer, and it was just a lost time for me. But I had a coach, James Collinsworth, who recognized that I needed some stability, and he invited me into his home and became that father figure for me and really pushed me to go to college. No one in my house talked about going to college. But Coach made sure that that was going to be in my future. So I went to college, played basketball, and failed out my first semester. And I went back to Dallas. I just fell off the deep end. Uh, I started a lifestyle that was not conducive to success. I was selling drugs and living for myself. And it was during that time that uh, God just really got a hold of my life. I just picked up and moved to Oklahoma City. That's where I met another coach, Coach Bob Hoffman, he's at Mercer. He played a huge impact in my life when I was at Oklahoma Baptist University. It was through all of those experiences that God plopped me down at a place called Kids Across America, a sports camp in Branson, Missouri, part of the Canuck system. That's where I met Roy Campbell, Soup Campbell, who is my spiritual father, mentor, friend for almost 25 years. That's what led me to Memphis. I wanted to be a part of what God was doing here, and I wanted to have someone in my life who could impact me and show me how to be a leader of high caliber. That's how I got to Memphis, and I've been here ever since 93, working in urban youth ministry, uh, and I have a wonderful, beautiful wife, Calandria Odom, and one son,
1: Enoch Jackson Odom. When I hear you talk about coaches... Lead like Jesus was founded by Ken Blanchard. Ken Blanchard, in the business world, obviously a lot of times we'll call a coach more of a mentor, but he has really been a coach to so many. And knowing Ken personally, he's someone who has built a lot of friendships with coaches because we believe that coaching is one of the purest forms of leadership. And I know Ken loves sports. I know he's got a good friendship with Coach Cal at University of Kentucky and, and many other coaches around the country. Share with us why coaches have been so influential. What is it about a coach that can make such a difference in someone's life? What are some of those overarching leadership principles that come through a coaching experience?
0: Well, I think we revere that title of coach at MAM because it's the one person who the child or the young person needs something from. If they're on a team. No child likes to sit on the bench. They want to play. Well, they know that that coach can make them better at their heart. They might not say it openly, but they know that coach can make them better. And I just think that's a valuable resource or a commodity that links that child to the coach. And then there's also trust. It's just innate that if someone says, I'm Coach Randy or I'm Coach Chris or I'm Coach Cal, there's a level of trust that goes with that. I think coaching is probably one of the most impactful positions or, or responsibilities a person can have. It's definitely changed my
1: life. And we use the power of coach to impact these young people. When I think about coaching, you use that word trust. Whether you're in the business world, whether you're in ministry, whatever the setting might be, I think every single person is looking for someone to coach them. All of us kind of, like you said, no one wants to sit on the bench. All of us want to be in the game. In that, if that coach doesn't embody trust and is not a trustworthy person, then we don't have confidence that that coach has our best interest at heart. So I think one of the things that is a great leadership principle about coaches, coaches, their greatness comes from making other people great. So true. The coach's success and greatness depends on how
0: well his players play. And I think when a player sees that or a person, when I've had coaches in my life, as we said before, and when I see them helping me improve and I see them pushing me, challenging me, putting me in positions that I might falter, but then they come alongside me and show me that it's okay to fail, we're going to get back up, and that's part of the coaching process. It's in that that you learn trust and that trust is built. And then it's also reciprocal because the coach also trusts the player. And I would say this too, Chris, if you've ever played for a coach that you didn't trust, you've had a coach in your life that
1: didn't have integrity and didn't have character, that shows itself real quick. Because this trust is so important, when a coach only values a person as a player but not as a person, how does that begin to break down the trust not only with the player but with the rest of the teammates when they see that the coach only cares about the player but doesn't necessarily care about the person?
0: It becomes divisive, and it divides. I'll give you an illustration. Coach Consworth that I was talking about earlier, he spent more time investing in me off the court than he did my basketball game. I remember having my first stake with him. I remember every time I went to his house, I ended up mowing the grass or cutting a yard or doing some work for either him or somebody else, and we asked for nothing in return. So he invested in me in other areas of my life, and so when he had to coach me up in that game, I could receive that. I think that's so vital and so important.
1: What I just heard in that, and I know this is true in all levels of leadership across the board, but like what I just heard you talk about, what your coach did when he started coaching you off the court he was teaching you life lessons. So what are the things that you do at Memphis Athletic Ministries to bridge what happens off the court in order to take these children, you know, from eight to 18 years of age and begin to teach them life lessons?
0: Well, we want to model it with our staff, with our team. I have a note that a coach left me over 25 years ago. He was a coach. He was a director at Kids Cross America, and it said, Randy, thanks for giving 110% to the kids. He dropped that little note in my shoe one day when I was at the pool. So we want to be intentional about honoring and celebrating our coaches with notes, with encouragement. Uh, As far as our executive team, one of the mandates that I have is I want you to be with your team enough that they know you're with them. And so we want to spend with me time with them, intentional time at every level of ma'am from our admin to our development to our coaches who are on the ground with the kids every day. And then our coaches go into the school every week. They go to little Johnny's classroom. They go to little Johnny's lunchroom, and they see him. And so that's powerful for the child, for the young person to say, Coach, Coach came to my school today. Or I know Coach is coming on Wednesday. He's going to be at lunch. He's also going to talk to my teacher, and he's going to show up at my house and talk to my mom. So we want that intentional time and we want to be consistent with that intentional time.
1: Randy, one of the things that the people who listen to this podcast are known for, they're kingdom minded people. I mean, this podcast is all about leading like Jesus and being that servant leader every city is the same in the sense that there are unfortunately we wish this wasn't the case but there are people who are more privileged and then there are people who are less privileged and we do see some discrepancy in this that there are more african americans more whether it be latinos more black and brown people who are living in conditions where they need a ministry like this to invest in them Mm -hmm. What would you say are some of the most important reasons to get involved in ministries like Memphis Athletic Ministries in each person's city?
0: First of all, the one thing that comes to my mind, when you invest in people in a kingdom way, God will return that investment in your heart. So when I volunteer or I go to work with a young person who is in an under-resourced neighborhood, God really uses that neighborhood and that person. To really invest in me. It helps me to keep from turning inward and focusing on myself. You know, one of the things that I try to live by is no matter what your economic or socioeconomic economic level is, you can always impact somebody and you can always make a difference. We've taken kids from Hurt Village, from MAM, from under-resourced neighborhoods to, we've taken them to Haiti, we've taken them to Honduras. Also, when you get a global vision of poverty, then that'll change your heart and it'll change how you live your life. And so I would encourage anyone, and no matter, even if it's rural, if it's suburban, reach out and impact somebody in a positive way and use the resources, the capital that God has given you. Invest that capital so that you can get a return for him.
1: Randy, when you see people prioritize some of their time, not just their resources, and you see them volunteer. Let's say someone volunteers to be a coach or assistant coach. Talk about not just the influence and impact in the students, but tell me a little bit about the impact that you see that happens in the people who begin to serve in that way.
0: Oh, most definitely. Time is the only resource that you can't get back. I can create monetary resources I can get but time you can't get that back so when somebody invests their time that's their most valuable commodity that they have I've seen people who've given their time one lady she told me I never liked kids I never wanted to come here she started volunteering and now she can't stop she loves it that time and that investment when you walk into our facility and that little person that young person those eyes are looking up at you and they come and they grab your hand and they say they're glad to see you and they are reaching out to love you that is unbelievable that a person can come from another background from another ethnicity from another socioeconomic situation come into that neighborhood or into that brokenness and the child doesn't care they just want you to love them and they'll love you back Mm -hmm. that's what changes people and that's what impacts every one of us
1: like we said this is not unique to memphis this is everywhere So would you paint a picture for us as to what the needs really are in all of these communities so that we can understand how important it is for us to truly invest our time, our talent, our treasures. Paint a picture, as you said, little Johnny earlier, or maybe it's little Sue. And What's the typical story of this eight-year-old, 10-year-old, 14-year-old, 15-year-old that's coming through Memphis Athletic Ministries?
0: Well, for one, the attention. They all crave attention and want to matter. They all want a caring adult to listen to them, to show them that they're important. One young lady, is so vividly in my mind. She said, Coach, the first time an adult apologized to me, I realized that I was important. Wow. All of these children need to know they're important. They need to know they have a purpose. They need somebody to walk with them through the dark times that we live in. You know, we live in a nation that's diverse and that's divided right now. There's so much tension going on. But the kids, they want love. And they sense all of these things that are going on. So a person who comes into that environment with the intent to love these children, that's a huge need. That need covers a multitude of, of sins that those kids face every day. I think for us, we're seeing the poverty. We're seeing the child who is in third grade but on a first grade reading level, for us reading is that social issue that the gospel demands us to dive into and make an impact because a young person who can't read by third grade and they're two or three levels behind, they'll never catch up and it'll carry them into their adulthood from a business standpoint, from a pastoral standpoint. If a person can't read the Bible, they can't grow in their walk. Or if you have a person working with you in, in your business, reading is fundamental. So we want to build that. We want to impact that.
1: One of the things that's so impressive about your ministry is though it is incredibly relational, you have also led your team of 55 people to measure what you do, you have incredible metrics. It's very important that you be a good steward of the dollars that are invested, the time that's invested, and that when someone shows up to volunteer, to serve, to give their time, that you make the best of that time. Take us out and look at it from a goal perspective and say, okay, you know, here's our end goal, and now here's how we measure that so that we can see the stewardship that's involved, and we can see the accountability that's involved. And really, a lot of other ministries can learn about the importance of how to measure those things.
0: Yeah, you said the word stewardship. And for us, that's taking care of what God has given us. One of the things that we're serious about is the number of kids in the facility because that's our pond that we fish in. So we want to have about 750, 800 kids a day. But we're also measuring impacts. In the literacy program, we know if we get a kid 60 days, we're raising them three a, a to Z reading levels, which is equal to one grade level. And so our target is to get the majority of our elementary kids 60 days in our literacy program and then double that to 120. By doing that, we have a goal, we have an objective, and we go hard after that. We make on-course adjustments, but so many times if you don't have a goal, we want to begin with the end in mind. And if we don't do that, there's no telling where we'll end up. And so for us, we are serious about the data we track. We use Salesforce and we're tracking things every day live. So I can pull up on my phone this afternoon and see how many kids are in each facility, if they're in Bible study, if they're in career readiness, if they're in literacy, and we also get data through a partnership with the school system. So we're looking at their grades, we're looking at uh, recidivism, we're looking at attendance up to date. So we can see right now how little Randy or how little Johnny's doing in school. And so that data helps our ministry move at a speed that we need to to impact and make change.
1: Randy, when I think about this ministry and the impact that it is having upon Memphis, it is tremendous. There is such a return on this investment in the lives, and not only in the lives, but like you said, that as these students begin to read at grade level, and, and then it advances them to be able to have opportunities to graduate, to go to college, and to really have the life that all of us desire for our own kids and for others. As we think about this podcast being around the country and around the world, you mentioned earlier KAA, Kids Across America. Tell our audience a little bit about that camp so that if they wanted to send a student to that camp. What are some of the other national organizations that you respect that they could apply some of the things that we're talking about in their context?
0: Yes. Kids Across America, I was there for over 15 years. It's part of the CanaCut camping system in Branson, Missouri. They have over 5,000 urban young people come every summer. It's a sports camp. It's fun. It's exciting. It's one of the best weeks of your life. We send campers there. We send staff there. We, We have a relationship with them. They're a phenomenal organization. And then actually here in Memphis, there's an organization called For the Kingdom, a camp in the city of the city. We send youth there to not only be campers, but to also uh, work. So For the Kingdom and FTK, Kids Across America, two phenomenal organizations that really, they've really impacted MAM and our staff in such a way that we have partnerships with them. Those organizations, we trust them. We trust the leaders that they build. We also have a history, a long history of a return on the investment we've made with them.
1: So Randy, as we think about the opportunities to apply this in a local context, apply this in a national context through a camp like KAA, I want to go back for just a moment. You mentioned three gentlemen that were coaches slash mentors in your life. The third person that you mentioned was Roy Campbell, better known in Memphis as Soup Campbell. At Lead Like Jesus, one of the things that we teach, you need to lead people by leading their head and their heart. If they only lead their hands and their feet, then that person feels used. Mm. But if we lead their head and their heart, then they feel valued. Yes. Tell us about the difference that Soup Campbell made in your life and the ways that he led you by leading your head and your heart.
0: Soup's standard, first of all, is very high. He would always tell me, I'm not going to lower the standard. I want you to attain to it. But he opened his life, his home, and invited me into his life in such a way that I saw leadership. I saw honesty. I saw integrity. I learned to trust him so that if he called me at 3 o'clock in the morning and said, come to my house, I'd go there. No questions. And then we'd end up taking groceries to a family who was in need because he wanted to show me how to do that. I knew nothing of urban ministry really before I got with soup. And so he challenged me. He had my heart from the beginning because I saw he cared for me. I'll never forget this, Chris. He said, Randy, sometimes I'm going to come at you. I'm going to coach you up in a firm way. But you need to know that everything I tell you is to make you better. And it's because I love you. So that helped me during tough times, during hard times. I grew to love him. So him leading me and pouring in and investing me and building me, that was a great experience. And I trusted him.
1: As we begin to kind of wrap up this podcast, the thing that comes to my mind, everything that we do is looking at Jesus as the ultimate leader. He is a servant leader. One of the things that I want to encourage our audience to do is I want you to ask yourself this question. If Jesus were to come to my city, who would he visit first? And I believe Jesus loves everyone, of course, but I believe that Jesus had a special, special heart, and we see this in Scripture, for the poor, for the people who felt left out, for the people who, through the tragedies of sin, have been unloved or experienced broken love, and that Jesus, ultimately, you know, one of my favorite names for him is friend of sinners. So as we think about who Jesus is, if we're going to lead like Jesus, then it's vitally important That some aspect of our leadership is looking after those who have less than we have, Mm. those who are under-resourced, those who – it's not necessarily the top-tier leadership. It's seeing the leader in the person that no one else even sees as a person. So, Randy, I want you to give us a closing story of a success story that there was a young man or a young woman that came through, ma'am, someone chose to value that person, love that person, develop that person, and because of that, this person who could have just been a statistic somewhere is now someone who leads like jesus
0: well i'll give you a real example here in memphis there's a young man named johnny i met johnny about seven or eight years ago he was at our grizzly center facility he had got into a fight over the weekend he almost got killed and so his mom moved him from the grizzly center she moved to another neighborhood he moved to Greenlaw to the hurt village area in our gym i walked in there one day and i saw johnny there I was surprised to see him. Jay Williams, one of our coaches, had begun coaching him. He gave his life to Christ, and Jay just started to be with him every day to the point where Jay took him to get a job and had him wear a tie to the interview. And he went back and forth. I want to work at McDonald's, but we were kind of challenging. McDonald's is right there. Let's look outside your neighborhood. Let's go to Central Barbecue. So they opened Central downtown, and Johnny went to get his application and wore a tie. He ended up getting that job. He works for Central now at their main location. Johnny has graduated from high school. He is a success. He has an apartment. He is a productive adult who gives back to the community. That's all because Jay saw him. Jay decided, I'm going to focus on him. I'm going to give him my life. I'm going to build into him. And then it was business owners like Craig Blondis who said, you know, Randy, because we know ma'am, I'm going to hire Johnny and give him a chance. Well, Johnny's never looked back. A couple of years ago, they had Johnny on their commercial when Central Barbecue was in the FedEx Forum. and So he's a great success, has a true heart for Christ, and is here in the city impacting young people. And that happens all the time. I'll say this, Chris, the young people in our communities have the same leadership abilities and skills as everyone else. It just looks different. It manifests itself different. Johnny was taking care of two brothers and sisters getting up at 530 in the morning, making sure they got to school. And then he went to school while his mom was at work so he had integrity, he had work ethic, it just looked different. You know, if you look back in the Bible, when he saw Peter, he saw the disciples, it says he looked at them, or he looked into them, he embleptized them, he looked into them and saw what they could be and what they would become. I think for every leader should have that goal, to look at the people around them and see what they can become, and then take an active part in helping them become that.
1: I absolutely believe in that 100%. I see that come true virtually every day when I see you mentoring people in our coffee shop. So what I want to encourage every person listening to this podcast to do is the difference in Johnny's life was one caring adult. One. We know you're all busy people. We're not asking you to go lead 20 people. But can you prioritize time to be that person that is the one caring adult? in someone's life, and that will eventually multiply itself, and that's one of the ways that we can lead like Jesus. Randy, thank you so much for sharing both your personal story and your ministry story and being an amazing example of someone who leads like Jesus. It has been fantastic to spend this time with you. If you want more information, about Lead Like Jesus, just go to leadlikejesus.org, leadlikejesus.org. If you love this podcast, we'd love for you to go to iTunes and just leave a comment about what you're learning here and encourage others to follow along with you on this podcast. Until next time, we'll see you later.